Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. BetOnline Sportsbook has you covered all throughout July with all the odds, props, promos, and parlays for baseball, WNBA, MMA, boxing, and more. Use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, alive on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. And podcasts aren't live. That's the whole purpose of podcasts. You can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose, and we appreciate that you You have decided to stop in however and whenever you might be choosing. It could be a Monday, it could be a Tuesday, it could be a Saturday, it could be any and all in between. According to my count, it is July 19th, 2023, a lovely, lovely Wednesday here on the Take It Easy podcast. We appreciate you stopping in however and whenever you might be listening. And today on the show... I wanted to talk about the Northwestern football story that broke last week. We didn't really have a space to work in the Northwestern football podcast because, one, I was working mornings all last week and I didn't really have the time to digest everything that was happening with Northwestern football. I'd heard the story. I had read about the details by the Daily Northwestern, of which we're going to read today. And if you want to read some of their full reporting, there's two or three links in the description to this episode with really detailed journalism that talks about why Pat Fitzgerald was being fired. If you haven't read, we're going to read from one of the stories today, but if you haven't read all the stories, there's a lot of interesting details that the Daily Northwestern reported on. Um, I had heard about the reporting. I had listened to a podcast about it. Uh, The Lebitard Show did a quick recap of what was happening at Northwestern, and I didn't feel like I really, truly understood the circumstance of this situation. I was trying to think of something new to talk about around the Northwestern football hazing story that led to the longest tenured head coach in modern Northwestern football history. I mean, we can go back to like World War One days of early college football, but in modern Northwestern history, the longest tenured football coach in that program's history being fired unceremoniously in the middle of July after overseeing a program that was rampant with sexual assaults. And we'll talk about that part of it coming up later on the show. But as that story ends up coming together, I'm trying to think of something unique to talk about around this story because we've talked about 
stories of similar ilk before on this podcast before there's never been anything quite as specific as what happened in terms of the program wide hazing culture that leads to the ouster of a head coach about 48 hours after the first public details are reported by the daily Northwestern. And I'm trying to think of something unique to talk about with this story and find a a vantage point. And a lot of really great journalism was being done to kind of lay out the details of this story. One of which I want to share here on the podcast right out the gate. We're going to talk about this story and lay out some of the details for those who don't know specifically what was going on with uh, Northwestern football and what led to Pat Fitzgerald being ousted and just hear stories about hazing and some of the sexual assault details, but maybe didn't go deeper into reading the story. I'm going to start off with reporting done by Michelle Steele of ESPN, and this report came out on July 10th, which was the day before Pat Fitzgerald got fired by Northwestern officially, but was after the Daily Northwestern published their first initial piece, which we'll read from in a second. You're going to hear from the editor of the Daily Northwestern, which is a student-run newspaper at Northwestern. Well, I mean, it's a newspaper, but student-run journalism. It's online journalism. It's not an actual physical newspaper, but you get the idea. Like, the the editor at the Northwestern student journalism outlet and Michelle Steele talks to her, and this is uh, this is a report in the 48 hours between when the first Daily Northwestern story is published and when Northwestern University makes the call to fire Pat Fitzgerald. So again, this is courtesy of Michelle Steele of ESPN, who lays out this Northwestern football story in really good detail. Tonight, Northwestern considering harsher discipline for head coach Pat Fitzgerald following disturbing hazing details going public. I think it's everything from a you know, multi-game suspension to you know, some type of outright dismissal, but it's certainly a, a very, very tense and uh, difficult situation right now at Northwestern. Four days after Northwestern ended their 1-11 2022 season, the university received an anonymous complaint about hazing on the football team. The school hired a third party to conduct an investigation which found that his claims were largely supported by the evidence and that while no specifics were provided, participation in or knowledge of the hazing was widespread across players. Last Friday, the school suspended Fitzgerald for two weeks without pay, Hours later, the Daily Northwestern got a tip from the now former player who made the complaint. He felt that it wasn't fair to the people involved with this story to kind of have the details of it swept under the rug. He also shared with us that he felt that the sanctions imposed on the team were more of a slap on the wrist. The former player told the Daily that he informed investigators he was subjected to an activity called running, where older players would restrain younger ones, often freshmen, in a dark locker room and engage in sexualized behavior. The former player also said teammates had to perform other naked acts in the locker room and that Fitzgerald knew about the hazing. The way that this has impacted him um, and other players is is probably the most difficult thing to hear about. Um, it's not just, you know, this happens and everyone's able to move on. This is long-term impacts that we're seeing on these players. And it's, it's saddening for everyone involved, I think. Hours after the newspaper's report, NU President Michael Schill said he may have erred in his initial punishment. 
An attorney who has litigated a number of hazing claims says the legal problems may just be beginning for Fitzgerald and Northwestern. I think this is a slam dunk case against Northwestern because you're jumping in with the benefit of a six month investigation performed by a top flight attorney that has already led the university to conclude that it was wrong that there were opportunities for Northwestern to discover the hazing, to report the hazing. What we're hearing now is a you know, years-long hazing episode that shows a football team run amok. Nicole Marcus tells me that the Daily Northwestern team hopes to publish more accounts from players stepping forward to share their stories. I'm Michelle Steele, ESPN. Again, that's from ESPN on July 10th. On July 11th, Pat Fitzgerald is fired. Also, Nicole Marcus, who is the uh, summer editor-in-chief of the Daily Northwestern, she's the female voice that you heard along with Michelle Steele talking about the details of the former player who came forward to the Daily Northwestern and detailed those allegations and talked about the hazing culture on campus. Uh, Nicole and the Daily Northwestern team did publish another account that um, talked to former Northwestern players, including Latino and black Northwestern players who were detailing cultures of racist behavior, of racial intolerance, where white players created cliques within the team. And those white players uh, were permitted by the coaching staff and administrators to do things like wearing long hair to engage in certain misconduct that was turned a blind eye to um, Fitzgerald used the phrase good clean American fun which is uh, to describe what they permitted within the program which has all sorts of coded racist language um, talking about how uh, black and Latino players were encouraged were recruited to play defense while white players were encouraged to recruit on the offensive side of the ball. And the way that those two teams interacted had a lot of racial tension to it. So Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern have some skeletons in the closet when it comes to racist practices and intolerance of black and Latino players and their treatment on the team. Some of the hazing details that one of the Latino players from the 2000s talked about was being forced to wear certain costumes that were racist and stuff like that was detailed in there as well. And ultimately Fitzgerald got fired. And so I think a lot of those details are going to be left un investigated on a national level maybe some broader journalism will uh, take dives into that or maybe the daily northwestern will continue to investigate that culture around the football program however it probably won't get the same national attention now that pat fitzgerald has been fired at northwestern and now that northwestern has named an interim coach for the season and then at the end of the year they will uh, treat this like they had fired pat fitzgerald after week three and the players will have transferred early and they will then reboot the program with a new head coach uh, being hired sometime in late november or early december probably from a group of five school or whatever it'll end up being because the consequences have been extended in terms of Fitzgerald being fired they're going to hire a new coaching staff at the end of November because all of those because all of the consequences have been handed out perhaps some of those other details won't see as much a light a day as they have as a result of 
the story around Pat Fitzgerald. And again, if you want to read some of the details from um, former players talking about the the cult, uh, racist culture that was permeating around Northwestern, that story is linked in the description to this episode as well. But the story I want to focus in on for the rest of the show is the hazing aspects specifically, because there are a lot of details here that probably deserve more of a light of day and i know a lot of people have read the daily northwestern piece it's not behind a paywall you can find it wherever you may um there's links in the description of this episode as long as you have uh internet you can listen you can read this piece and i just want to read from it here to give an idea of what specifically we're talking about before we talk about a broader picture around sexual assault in college on college campuses and specifically how sexual assault is per is enabled across generations and specifically is enabled today in a way that doesn't get the same attention it probably deserves around college campuses in this case private college campuses like northwestern so again this is the piece from the daily northwestern uh, reported back on july 8th which then led to july 11th pat fitzgerald being fired A former Northwestern University football player told The Daily some of the hazing conduct investigated by the university involved coerced sex acts. A second player confirmed these details. The player also told The Daily that head coach Pat Fitzgerald may have known that hazing took place. Quote, I've seen it with my own eyes and it's just absolutely egregious and vile and inhumane behavior. The player who asked to remain anonymous in this story said... The former player said he reported his experience to the university in late November 2022, which, side note, corroborates what Michelle Steele said in her reporting four days after the Northwestern season ended. The player alleges that much of the team's hazing centered around a practice dubbed running, which was used to punish team members, primarily freshmen, for mistakes made on the field and in practice. If a player was selected for running, the player who spoke to the Daily said they would be restrained by a group of eight to ten upperclassmen dressed in various purge-like masks who would then begin dry-humping the victim in a dark locker room. Quote, it's a shocking experience as a freshman to see your fellow freshman teammates get ran, but then you see everybody bystanding in the locker room. It's just a really abrasive and barbaric culture that has permeated throughout the program for years on end now. The Daily obtained images of whiteboards labeled Runs Giving and, quote, Shrek's List, containing a list of names indicating players that the player said needed to be, quote, ran. The player said this tradition was especially common during training camp and around Thanksgiving and Christmas, which he said the team called Runs Giving or Runsmas. Quote, it's done under the smoke and mirrors of, oh, this is team bonding, but no, this is sexual abuse, the player said. According to former player, team members allegedly identified players for running by clapping their hands above their head around that player. The practice, the player said, was known within the team as, quote, the Shrek clap. The Daily obtained a video of a player clapping his hands during a game, which the anonymous player said was the same motion to taken to signify, quote, running. According to the player who spoke with the Daily, Fitzgerald repeatedly made the signal during practices when players, specifically freshmen, made a mistake. The player believes some players interrupted, interpreted Fitzgerald making these signs as knowingly encouraging the hazing to continue. Quote, everyone would just be looking at each other and be like, bro, Fitz knows about this? 
because you wouldn't take that action otherwise, the player said. Everyone joins in because he's the head coach. The second player who spoke to the Daily, who also asked to be anonymous in this story, said he also witnessed these actions occurring. After receiving the hazing reports, Northwestern University hired an independent law firm, Arendt Fox Scheif, to continue the cl- to investigate these claims. Lead investigator Maggie Hickey, former Inspector General of Illinois, interviewed coaches, staff, and current and former players, and reviewed thousands of documents, according to a news release by the university. According to the release, Hickey's investigation revealed that while current and former players varied on their perspective regarding the conduct, the whistleblower's claims were, quote, very largely supported by evidence. The participation in or knowledge of these hazing activities, which were not detailed in the summary, was widespread, according to Northwestern University football players, the investigation found. Our first priority is to support and protect students, including all student-athletes who have the courage to come forward in the independent investigation, according to university spokesperson John Yates wrote in in an email response. After the investigation concluded, the university placed Fitzgerald on unpaid suspension for two weeks. After Northwestern University announced Fitzgerald's unpaid leave of absence, the coach said that he was, quote, very disappointed and was, quote, not aware of the alleged incidents. In a statement emailed to Northwestern University community members Saturday night, University President Michael Schill said he believed that he, quote, may have erred in weighing the appropriate sanctions for Coach Fitzgerald. Schill said that he would engage with NU leaders in the coming days to further consider Fitzgerald's punishment and keep the community aware of any developments. Quote, Coach Fitzgerald is not only responsible for what happens within the program, but also must take great care to uphold our institutional commitment to the student experience and our priority to ensure all students, undergrad and grad, can thrive, Schill wrote in a statement. Clearly, he failed to uphold that commitment, and I failed to sufficiently consider that failure in levying a sanction. The university said in the executive summary of their investigation that while it did not find sufficient evidence to conclude that coaching staff knew about ongoing hazing activity, quote, there had been significant opportunities to discover and report the hazing conduct, end quote. The university also introduced additional sanctions against the team. Someone who does not report to the coaching staff is now required to monitor the locker room, and the team must end all practices at Camp Kenosha, a training camp location. In addition to running, the whistleblower alleged that he witnessed the team participate in other hazing traditions in which freshmen were forced to strip naked and perform various acts, including bear crawling and slingshotting themselves across the floor with exercise bands. In a once-a-year tradition dubbed, quote, the car wash, the first player said that some players would stand naked in the entrance to the showers and spin around, forcing those entering the showers to, quote, basically rub up against a bare-naked man. Among, upon entering the showers, the player alleged that players set up a hose they connected to the shower to spray people. Quote, it's extremely painful, the player said. The player also alleged that he witnessed and was forced to participate in what he called a naked center quarterback exchange, wherein a freshman quarterback was forced to take an under-center snap from a freshman center while both players were naked. The player said that on one instance, another player was, quote, very vocally adamant about not wanting to participate in this exchange. Older players threatened to, quote, run him if he refused, and there was, quote, no other option, according to the player. 
Quote, he was forced to engage in this, the player said. I wish I would have told him to transfer because this is an absolutely abusive environment and an environment in which the safety and well-being of players is not protected at all. The second player confirmed these allegations. According to Northwestern's definition of sexual misconduct, sexual assault, sexual exploitation, stalking, dating, or domestic violence, and sexual harassment are all prohibited. These acts, the Northwestern University football player alleges, qualify under the university's definition of sexual violations. Other hazing practices that the player detailed to the Daily include a practice called Gatorade Shake Challenges, where teammates, often freshmen, were forced to drink as many Gatorade shakes as they could in a 10-minute period. The player alleges he has not witnessed this practice. He has witnessed this practice on two separate occasions and that he's never seen anyone not throw up during or after these challenges. The second player said he also witnessed this tradition. The player said that one of his friends was sick for a number of days after this event and wasn't able to eat much. According to Northwestern University's hazing policy, hazing is defined by any actions taken to produce mental, physical, or emotional discomfort, servitude, degradation, embarrassment, harassment, or ridicule for the purpose of initiation into affiliation with or admission to or as a condition for continued membership in a group, team, or other organization, regardless of the individual's willingness to participate. This policy prohibits, among other things, any physical abuse expected or inflicted on another person, sexual violations or others required, encouraged or expected sexual activity, whether actual or stimulated, engaging in degrading or humiliating games, activities, stunts, or buffoonery, and requiring or compelling the consumption of liquid, food, drinks, or other substances. So that's the initial reporting that was done by the Daily Northwestern that ultimately led to the dismissal of Pat Fitzgerald about 48 hours later. It was somewhere between 48 and 72 hours was when they made the call to dismiss Pat Fitzgerald. And I want to go back around to something that was detailed at the beginning of the story where they were talking about running and Shrek's list and stuff that raises your eyes. And when I first read this story, it was last Sunday prior to the university making the call to fire Fitzgerald because last Sunday was when the story gained national news and national attention. And when I read it, it raised my eyebrow in the sense of, oh, wow, this is really jarring behavior and wow, I'm not sure this is going to be able to be public and that Pat Fitzgerald is going to be able to continue to be the leader of that program with that information being available. Beyond the moral and ethical bounds of this is highly, highly unethical behavior and Pat Fitzgerald is responsible as the leader of the program and the highest paid employee at the University of Northwestern. In some of these cases with football teams, you could say highest paid public employee in the state, but because Northwestern's a private university, he's the highest paid employee at the University of Northwestern. And so Pat Fitzgerald is responsible for the conduct, regardless of knowing or not. But it was behavior that would raise the eyebrows and say that even beyond the moral and ethical sense, which is very, very important here, Pat Fitzgerald continuing to try and recruit based on this information being public was not going to be a feasible possibility at Northwestern, especially at the same program that he was running before. 
And the line I wanted to go back to was talking about runs giving and Shrek's list and the assault where if you didn't do this, you had to get run by the teammates. And this line is the one that I thought was most potent in talking about this case. And it kind of sums it up pretty well. The player said this to the Daily Northwestern, but it sums up the point of this very concisely in the middle of the piece. Quote, It's done under the smoke and mirror of, oh, this is team bonding. But no, this is sexual abuse. Because what we are talking about here, without smoke, without detailing around it, obviously there are criminal implications around this and some legal aspects of this from the Pat Fitzgerald firing with cause, all that stuff. But from a moral and ethical standpoint, this is sexual abuse. And what we are talking about here is a case of sexual abuse permeated throughout a college campus and football players consistently have the protections of the university. We've talked about this a number of times in the history of this podcast where we've talked about sexual abuse on college campuses and the fact that these college campuses essentially operate as functioning governments and these functioning governments have a responsibility to protect young people because they should be going above and beyond the scope with which a government has the power to protect people because these are in the case of Northwestern private institutions that essentially operate as governments and in the case of a school like San Diego State, which we've detailed on this podcast when talking about the Matt Areza sexual assault case, for schools like San Diego State, they operate as public institutions where they get money from the state of California, they collect tuition from students in a system that operates very similarly to how taxes are collected, and the university provides food, housing, education, transportation. Most of your basic necessities are funded by the schools through systems that operate very similarly to taxes and government funding. And so these schools essentially are billion-dollar governments within a smaller community, within, say, a city or within a town or whatever it might be. They are essentially small communities with billion dollar budgets that operate within cities and because they essentially operate as functioning governments universities and colleges have a responsibility morally and ethically to protect young people and these stories of sexual assault and sexual abuse on college campuses only come up when there's a high-profile case at a major institution, when sexual assault culture and sexual abuse culture within college campuses is prevalent on every college campus and has been the case for 40, 50, and 60 years as the system of higher education has continued to grow. And these conversations only come up when they have reached a tipping point with a public scandal. 
And the reason is because the worst of the worst cases are often the ones that pu- that come to the surface. It is very often who the perpetrators are compared to the crimes themselves. And on an individual level, there are people who are doing great work to try and bring light to this, to work, to make sexual assault and Title IX investigation, sexual assault and Title IX investigations more funded and so that there can be greater accountability that there and if there are better accountability systems young people will be less likely to commit sexual assault and sexual harassment and crimes of those natures if you have a better system of prosecuting people you will create better accountability and more people will have a moral and ethical prerogative to protect young people if you're bringing this case to light and what happens far too often with these cases beyond northwestern football or beyond men being sexually abused or women being sexually abused within the college campus environment. Cause what we have with the hazing case that I think is better is a case that isn't heteronormative. When you're talking about male perpetrators and female assault victims, gender gets involved in this conversation. And all of a sudden it becomes a conversation about accountability for men who get, who do bad behavior. And you're going to have people who, intentionally or unintentionally are going to come to the defense of men who engage in bad behavior and permeating the culture around this is what happens on college campuses or this is just young people making mistakes and they shouldn't have their lives ruined and blah 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 all the conversations that come up as straw man conversations to deflect from accountability and deflect from having any sort of acknowledgement of sexual assault culture that permeates across college campuses because again one in four women will experience some form of sexual assault within their early 20s and one i believe it's one in seven i don't want to say incorrect fact but i believe one in seven homosexual men will experience abuse within college campuses during or will experience some form of sexual abuse in their youth whether that be from age uh six on to about 27 is the number that i read once upon a time i wish i could cite that source here but it's older in my head so i don't want to say i don't have those numbers exactly correct but again this is a real problem and what happens is the conversation around sexual assault permeates over generations and no one wants to have the conversation until you have a giant public scandal And so whenever you have public scandals like what's happening at Northwestern, when you have what's happening at San Diego State with Matt Areza, what these stories can do is open a broader conversation for sexual sexual abuse and sexual assault culture within college campuses. Because this is a real problem on a micro level and on a macro level. These individual cases of men and women who have been sexually assaulted on college campuses or sexually abused in these communities with with basically billion dollar billion dollar governments who have a moral and ethical obligation to protect their young people and go out of their way to protect their young people because of how these systems and structures exist within colleges you have young people who are being sexually assaulted and sexually abused and sexually harassed all across college campuses and on individual levels these tragedies are nearly impossible to deal with because these universities although they have title nine protections aren't equipped to handle dealing with sexual assault and sexual harassment and dealing with the consequences of such for young people they don't have the resources and funding to prosecute title nine cases and there is a culture of fear around coming forward because you're not going to be supported 
by the university and by your fellow people by people in power are not going to support you because nobody wants to talk about or acknowledge sexual assault on college campuses. It actually goes against the university's interests to bring up the fact that there's sexual assault and sexual harassment that exists on your college campus because that's bad for convincing young people to come to your school. And so because nobody wants to talk about sexual assault and sexual abuse culture in colleges and because everyone's prerogative is to either sweep it under the rug or just not talk about it, it permeates across generations and there isn't any level of substantial change. And you're seeing a case like this at Northwestern where we're talking about straight up sexual abuse. And by the way, Pat Fitzgerald's firing doesn't have a whole lot of people caping up for Fitzgerald should have kept his job or people pounding their fists on the table saying that this is a Pat Fitzgerald being taken out by whatever sort of people want to keep want to take down the good people the good clean americans of the world for be the good clean white americans of this world they want to take down these outstanding white men for their behavior you don't see people defending pat fitzgerald on this one because people acknowledge that sexual assault and sexual abuse is especially at a grandiose macro level like what we're talking about at Northwestern, people will acknowledge that it's wrong. The problem is people acknowledging that it exists in the first place. They want to believe that this is an exception instead of something that not only exists in other football programs, but exists across all college campuses on a macro level. People just don't want to acknowledge it in the first place. When they do acknowledge it, very often they say and do the right things. It's just not wanting to acknowledge that it exists in the first place that is more of a macro level problem. So we see that when people are forced to talk about this and acknowledge that sexual abuse happens on college campuses, that men on the football team are being sexually abused by their fellow teammates and at times by their fellow coaches in cases like we've seen in the past. When people have this conversation and you have public details that can either be prosecuted or accountability can be taken by people losing their jobs or people facing financial liability or people going to prison like you and you have settlements from universities, the University of Michigan, the University of uh, USC, UCLA, multiple Ivy League programs, even Northwestern has settled out sexual assault and sexual abuse claims over the years. Michigan State also had the case with Larry Nasser. I didn't mention them. They paid out a nearly billion-dollar settlement. When you have universities that have paid out gigantic settlements, have fired employees, have faced levels of accountability for not protecting their young people, it stems back to the fact that people don't want to talk about sexual abuse and sexual assault culture on college campuses. People don't want to acknowledge that it exists when it is a very real and very, at times, public problem because a lot of these universities essentially operate as functioning governments. And when these universities operate as functioning governments and in many cases receive public funding from states, it is a public responsibility. It is their responsibility to protect their young people. They have a moral and ethical obligation to do so. And because it, it, it serves everyone's incentive to not talk about it, in, because it serves the people in power to not talk about sexual assault culture and sexual abuse culture on college campuses, victims are not encouraged to come forward. Victims are 
forced to deal with these situations themselves, which can fester and lead to all sorts of mental health issues and psychological issues. And this Northwestern case is a perfect example of that. Northwestern University's investigation concluded that this was permeating across the campus. There were different levels to which people were willing to talk about it, and in some cases willing to snitch on fellow players. But for the most part, they confirmed that these accounts were real, and they concluded that Pat Fitzgerald deserved a two-week suspension. I, I was listening to Spencer Hall talk about this, and his tweet was a perfect one that summed this up, which sounds like, cop gets suspension with pay that's basically what's happening here with pat fitzgerald the original decision was pat fitzgerald gets a two-week suspension in the middle of a dead period yes he's going to lose a little bit of money but it's essentially a fine that can operate as a form of consequence for sexual abuse culture and only when the university decided this wasn't a big deal and they didn't want to make a big conversation out of this only then did the Daily Northwestern release their reporting that detailed, hey, this is the action you should have taken based on the information that you found, and the university president acted swiftly and fired Pat Fitzgerald, which I don't think you get the benefit of the doubt on this one, university president of a college campus that oversees a sexual assault and sexual abuse culture. Yeah, you don't deserve the benefit of the doubt for doing the right thing after the details went public, and at the same time, you did end up firing Fat, Pitt, Fat Fitzgerald and creating some level of accountability. And so this is where Northwestern is a microcosm for exactly how these sexual assault cases, even among non-high-profile cases, like even beyond the football program, even on a micro level on college campuses, this is how these things get covered up, per se, or Nobody wants to acknowledge that they exist is because someone makes a report to, say, a Title IX office or in the case of the football team, there is a specific department within the, uh, the a specific athletic department with which you can report these types of sexual assault cases. And this is just a microcosm for the rest of the university. There is supposed to be a functioning Title IX department in which people who are not part of the football team can report sexual assault and sexual abuse and sexual harassment. You report to a department within the university. That university takes what resources they have and starts an investigation. The investigation is often re-traumatizing for the victims because they're forced to relitigate a lot of their abuses and a lot of their sexual assaults and a lot of the details that are incredibly difficult to even recount once, nonetheless having to continue to recount to investigators and reporters time and time again or going through a legal process if you want to take legal action against someone. It often forces the victims to be re-traumatized as they not only are forced to go through their assault, but in many cases, or their sexual abuse, and in many cases they aren't necessarily believed by those who are investigators who are skeptical at every turn of the behavior that you're detailing, which is re-traumatizing for victims again. And then they conclude their investigations. They levy sanctions that aren't swift enough or strong enough, given the, ma the magnitude of what we're talking about here. As what happened at Northwestern, they gave a two-week suspension to the head coach and said they couldn't go to Camp Kenosha in Wisconsin 
the school litigates it, doesn't give a strong enough accountability measure, doesn't put in the necessary protections to prevent something like it from happening again, and then moves on until the next case of sexual harassment and sexual abuse. And the victims who have already been re-traumatized in recounting and going through the investigation are re-traumatized again because now they're forced to avoid certain spaces. They're forced to avoid going to certain rooms in which they are not welcome or that might re-traumatize them. Many times they're forced to transfer out of campus because of the trauma that's experienced from sexual assault and sexual abuse. Many times people transfer out of campus and it leads to psychological issues. It leads to depression. It leads to suicide. It leads to feeling alone in a lot of these cases and feeling like you are isolated within a community that doesn't have your well-being and has proven that they don't have your well-being as their top priority. And that can be incredibly difficult and it can be incredibly isolating. And Northwestern is a microcosm for something that is going on on every college campus. And the way that the university set themselves up to handle this case with an, with a department that accepts uh, cases of sexual abuse or like rep takes reports on sexual abuse that opens up an investigation that doesn't have the resources to uncover all the information that they need releases an investigation with limited information and also has an incentive to have lesser accountability because well this isn't uh this is just something that happened a couple times and if we levy some measure of accountability it will stop it again like underselling the magnitude of the problem being under-resourced to, to take care of the problem those three things all work in unison to create more to create a culture of abuse among college campuses it is the under-resourcing of ability to prosecute these cases and to protect young people it is not believing the magnitude of the problem to be as to be what it is. And it is the lack of accountability and wanting to even acknowledge that this exists in the first place, the acknowledgement, the funding and the acceptance of the magnitude of this case all end up permeating in a sexual abuse culture that is allowed to exist and most people don't know that it exists to the magnitude that it is. You see these things across college campuses all over America, particularly private institutions, because private institutions don't have anyone they have to answer to in terms of a state government or in terms of someone who controls their funding. And as a result, you see sexual abuse culture permeating. And Northwestern University is a perfect microcosm for how sexual assault and sexual abuse continue to go. You have... A lack of accountability from the university, a lack of funding in being able to ad adequately handle these cases, and you have a collective incentive to not acknowledge that this exists in the first place. And as a result, you see less accountability across the board. The, the combination of accountability, acknowledgement, and resources to be able to prosecute these cases all of them lead to permeating sexual assault culture and sexual abuse culture across college campuses. And you see women and men who are victims of sexual abuse and sexual assault, which is what Northwestern is here. Like we said, this is just straight up sexual abuse. This is straight up sexual assault in a lot of these cases. You have men being sexually abused by their fellow teammates and you have a culture that 
across most college campuses is permeated and in the case of Northwestern saw accountability after they were after it was pointed out to them those three points that we mentioned hey your investigation was under-resourced you were not holding the people in power accountable enough for the details that you found because you didn't believe that this was as big of a problem as you thought it was and from the foundation there was an acknowledgement that this is not as big of a problem as we believe it is or a lack of acknowledgement that sexual abuse culture is something that's prevalent across your college campus and across your community that lack of acknowledgement the lack of resources to be able to adequately handle these situations and the lack of accountability at the end of all of it is how sexual abuse culture permeates. And you saw that it happened at Northwestern all within the span of about three days and reporting by the daily Northwestern ultimately brought the story to light and opened a national news story that operates as one of thousands of cases that exists across college campuses, most of them not as high profile as what is happening at Northwestern University. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. If you want more information on this story, again, we have the Michelle Steele story linked in the description of this episode. We have the Daily Northwestern piece as well as a couple of other stories that the Daily Northwestern released in aftermath detailing uh, racist cultures around Northwestern University and other reporting that was done around this case. Again, all of that is linked in the description of this episode. We'll have one more episode coming out later this week as well. We thank you for your continued support of the show. Leave a five-star review, download. All of your support is greatly appreciated so that we can put together more podcasts in the near future. Three days a week is our recording schedule here on the Take It Easy podcast. We've got a whole archive of episodes if you wish to go back. Uh, just scroll through and find something that piques your interest as well if you are interested in anything else that we have done on this podcast, including cases that we've reported on Deshaun Watson, on Matt Areza, and other cases of sexual abuse and sexual assault culture permeating across college campuses and across the sports world at large. Uh, it's a topic that does not get enough reporting and does not get enough attention. And so when we have opportunities to talk about it, especially when it comes to college campuses, it's important to shed light on a really, really big problem. So thank you for stopping into today's show. Thank you for continuing to support this here program. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. And in the meantime, take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.